1: Taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading in case I got bored.
0: Welcome to another exciting episode of Literary Treks, your official Star Trek's books and comics show right here on Trek FM. I am just one of your hosts, and my name I almost said that like I'm singing it. I'm almost like just like one of your hosts, but anyway, I'm one of your hosts, Bruce Gibson, and with me as always. Is another singing professional, Dan Gunther. Uh,
1: I don't know about the singing part that that comes out. You did sing on an episode recently. Uh, that comes out very rarely, so don't expect anything. But yes, I'm Dan Gunther, uh, joining Bruce as always, and yeah, here to talk about not sing about, talk about Star Trek novels. Uh, Bruce, are you? You're looking kind of mirrorish, maybe a little darker today. I don't know. Do you have the lights turned down low in there because your eyes are sensitive to light? Are you from this universe? What's going on over there? Uh, I am from
0: this universe, but I have to take some eye drops right now to adjust my eyes. Okay, you figured me out. <laughs> I was going to say that doesn't seem suspicious real... at all. <laughs> no, I'm not the real Bruce Gibson. I'm the mere Bruce Gibson. Blah, ha, 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 ha. That's my evil voice. <laughs> I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so this is just a hint as to what we're going to talk about on the show. If you haven't already read the description of this episode on your phone or computer or whatever or however you listen to literary Treks and all of our fine shows here on the Trek FM network. And so this is uh, our feature is going to be about the novel called Star Trek, The Next Generation dark mirror by Diane Duane. And we're going to cover that in the feature today, which is really exciting because I read this book a long time ago and I know Dan has to, and we'll tell you more about that later. But first let's go to the news because we have three news items that we want to cover today. And at one point we did talk to, uh, David Goodman, about uh, when he was on the show a few episodes ago, and he gave us a little tidbit that we were getting another autobiography book. So when he was on the show recently, it was about the autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard. And now it's the autobiography of Mr. Spock. And yes, David Goodman is, is writing, or is in the process of writing. Maybe he's already written it. I don't know. But he's the author of the autobiography of Mr. Spock. And it will be an in-universe memoir chronicling the story of one of Starfleet's fan favorites. And it will also include an eight-page full-color plate section and will be published in hardback by Titan. And it's going to come out on October 16th of 2018.
1: Yeah, really looking forward to this one. I, I of course, really enjoyed the autobiography of James T. Kirk, as well as Jean-Luc Picard. So... You know, the autobiography of Mr. Spock, it just makes sense. You know, that's kind of, if you mention Star Trek to someone on the street who knows nothing about Star Trek, they might know Captain Kirk, Captain Picard, and very likely Mr. Spock. So, you know, this, I think this one will be a good seller and I'm looking forward to uh, reading it. Especially those uh, years in between the original series and the next generation. You know, what was he up to there? I'm looking forward to this.
0: And we've gotten some novels that cover his life in that time period but even the novels that have been out contradict themselves and i'm sure this will be different too mm-hmm. so it'll be a different take on those years and yeah most people do know a spock to the point that some go oh yeah star trek that's that one with dr spock <laughs> <right>? <laughs>
1: yeah exactly <laughs>
0: And I like the cover of this, too. It's blue, which is my favorite color, which is the science color that he wears during the uh, original five-year mission. And it's got an outline diagram of the Enterprise and the science insignia on it. And it says, The Autobiography of Mr. Spock, The Life of a Federation Legend.
1: Exactly. And, of course, it's an autobiography. So it's written by the man himself, Mr. Spock. So edited by David A. Goodman, though. So.
0: Yeah, it might be a little dry if it's written by Spock. Not a whole lot of motion <laughs> behind that, right? I'm, I'm
1: curious how, uh, I mean, obviously David Goodman wrote it, but like how he's going to capture that voice, uh, because ostensibly it's supposed to have been written by Spock. So I, I'm curious to see how he's managed to get that voice to come through in the prose. I think it should be pretty interesting. Well, we do have the logline of the book.
0: Um which I don't think we've mentioned on a previous episode. So I could read it,
1: or you could read it, Dan. What do you want to do? The autobiography of Mr. Spock tells the story of one of Starfleet's finest officers and one of the Federation's most celebrated citizens. Half human and half Vulcan, the book, written in Spock's own words, follows his difficult childhood on the planet Vulcan, his enrollment at Starfleet Academy, his adventures with Captain Kirk and the crew of the Starship Enterprise, his diplomatic triumphs with the Klingons and the Romulans, and his death and amazing resurrection on the Genesis planet. We meet the friends he's made, the women he's loved, and experience the triumphs and tragedies of a life and career that spanned a century. His struggle to find his place in the universe is one we can all relate to. Mm, The women he's
0: loved. Wow. I want to hear Spock tell us about that. (laughs) Maybe he
1: will get emotional. Mm. It's something we do not discuss with outsiders unless we get a book deal. (laughs) It's a little known addition to that that phrase of
0: Spock's. (laughs) Because, you know, you would expect Spock to explain things more so than maybe Kirk and Picard did in their books. So when he gets to Farr. I feel like he's going to have to explain, you know, for those who don't know, this is what it is and this is what it means. And, you know, all of a sudden you've got a whole chapter just about what
1: Ponfar is. (laughs) Yeah, which would be odd because Vulcans are famously very reserved about that subject. So, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how this book's going to tackle that.
0: And even his death, I mean, it's from his perspective. He can tell us, you know, what he was feeling during the time of his death and saying goodbye to his friend Kirk and saving the crew, and then what it was like to be resurrected and growing up through that quick phase of from childhood to adulthood on Genesis. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the more I think about this, the more interesting this sounds to me.
1: Yeah, it's, it could be pretty cool, I think, for sure.
0: Yeah. And, you know, another uh, first officer that. Interests me is Saru. And uh, Saru's getting his own novel. Thank you to James Swallow. And it's called Star Trek Discovery Fear Itself. And we've covered, we've mentioned that this book is coming out. And uh, I think at the time we mentioned that the release is June 5th of 2018. But we do have the cover. So we're going to judge a book by its cover. Theme song, please. Thank you. And now. (laughs) This cover, actually, I mean, it's the book cover, but we're looking at the audio book cover, mm-hmm. which is pretty much the same. So um, there isn't a whole lot to tell, and that's not knocking the look of the book, but essentially it's Saru on the cover. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Saru, and he's kind of doing this weird Jedi mind trick thing with his hand, uh, reaching out towards the, the viewer of the front of the book, I guess. And he's got this really cool kind of purple nebula design on a white background behind him. Uh, Visually, I think it's a really eye-catching book. And I think this would look really cool on the shelf in the bookstores. So it definitely has that going for it. Uh, People who are not familiar with Star Trek Discovery might think this is a really weird looking alien on the cover. And I mean, Saru is a bit weird looking. But uh, yeah, I I think I would have to give this one my seal of approval or stamp of approval. I did it again. I always say seal of approval, stamp of approval. Um, (laughs) We're not putting seal sound effects in this episode. (laughs) But yeah, I I really like this design. I think it looks really cool. It, it, it follows the simple designs that the other two Star Trek discovery novels have had. Uh, But I think it works tying that series together here. And, And this one is particularly eye catching.
0: Funny, you should say that it works with the others. I do think the art style and the look of that definitely fits with the others, but the coloring it's like it looks like the the background is gonna probably stay white mm-hmm. and so when you put the books on the shelves side by side, like the other books had more blue to it, where this has more white, I don't know. We'll have to see when it comes out how that works, but i do it does get my stamp of approval. Thank you very much <laughs> and uh Yeah, I'm excited to read this book. I mean, I love the... It's been a while since we've had something from James Swallow, so I'm really looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, James Swallow has dabbled some in Star Wars, so that really could be Saru doing a Jedi mind trick.
1: Ha, you never know. (laughs) The crossover that a lot of people seem to want, but that I think is a phenomenally bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: And by the way, James Walla has not written a Star Wars novel, as far as I'm aware. I just know he's done, uh, written for Star Wars video games. Mm, So, because the first time I ever talked to him was on a Star Wars podcast. There you go. I think this is the first time I've been on this show with him. So, that'll be
1: fun. Oh, that'll be cool. Yeah. He's, he's great. A lot of fun. Always fun to talk to him. And yeah, I love his books. So, Looking forward to this one.
0: I met him in person at Star Wars Celebration in London, and that was a couple years ago, so it'll be good to talk to him again. So we have one last thing here in the news, and it is an announcement from IDW about a new Star Trek comic series, and it's The Next Generation, and it's Terra Incognita. And this is a six-issue miniseries, and it's going to come out, I think, did I put it in my notes here? I don't know, but I think it's coming out in September or the fall or something like that. It's coming out. Am I getting that right? I don't know, but uh, it's a six issue mini series and it will, this is okay. I'm just going to read what it says here. It's going to have unique focus stories where beloved characters find themselves in new unfamiliar situations in a format echoing the done-in-one nature of the television series. However, each issue also features a subtle through-line of an evil Mirror Universe crew member established in the Mirror Broken and Through the Mirror series, which is an upcoming five-part weekly series starting in May. And it remains on the ship, wrecking havoc while posing as his prime universe counterpart, featuring the best of both the Mirror and original universes, Terra Incognita is a unique new step in this riveting saga.
1: This sounds really cool. Uh, And of course, without having read the Through the Mirror series yet, you know, I'm I'm curious to see how that'll, you know, play into this, but this sounds really cool. And we do also have the cover of issue number one, which uh, features, I'm assuming that's Barkley. On the cover. Yes. And, uh, really cool design. So we've got Barkley on the strapped down to a bed. It looks like, uh, and gagged and hovering over him is a hand holding a knife. And in the reflection of the knife, it looks like it's Barkley looking down on his counterpart here. So really, uh, gripping and fascinating cover. So I'm, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this looks really cool.
0: It does. And when I first looked at the cover, you said about the gag. It's like a small gag around his mouth and stuff. I thought he was wearing a retainer for like braces. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure what it was until I noticed the the other restraints, uh, holding his hands and, and across his body on the bed there. Oh, wait, hold
0: on one second. I'm getting a phone call. Hold on. Let me, uh, hello. Oh, hi, IDW. Uh, Sarah, how are you doing? Great. Yeah, we're recording Literary Treks right now. Oh, you heard. Oh, you must have tapped into our lines because we record the show. We don't do it live on... What? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. I'll get right. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Uh, This comes out in August. Ah, okay. Of (laughs) I'm
1: glad she was listening in uh, and could set us straight on that. So... Thanks, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah.
0: And Scott and David Tipton, they are the writers and Tony Shastine is the artist. And we've known Tony to do many other star Trek comics with IDW. So looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So that's our news for this episode. We've covered all three items, the auto autobiography of Mr. Spock and Star Trek Discovery Fear itself and Star Trek The Next Generation Terra Incognita. So let's go on to the feature, Dan, because I feel the mirror universe is creeping up on us.
1: I'll see you there.
0: So we're covering Star Trek The Next Generation Dark Mirror, like I just said a second ago, but I just want to mention again, because we're now here in the feature, and this was written by Diane Duane, and it was published in 1993. 1993. That was such a long time ago. So I guess we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of this book.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, thats it's been a quarter century since this book was published. It's just crazy. Because yeah. I remember
0: I read this not when it came out in hardcover, but when they published it on the first run as a paperback. And I, I remember, I remember some of it, but not, you know, I mean, it was 25 years ago or probably 24 when I read it, but Dan, you read it a long time ago, but more than once, right? Yeah.
1: So I I think very similarly to you, I got it when it first came out in paperback and I, I would have been quite young at the time, I guess, uh, 11 or 12 years old or something like that. And I read it, uh, I remember it was on a trip with my parents and I took it with me and, and read it on the trip. And it really made an impression on me. I don't, it wasn't the first Star Trek novel I'd ever read, but I loved this one. And I've read it probably two or three more times since then. And then plus this most recent time for the podcast. So this is one that that I've read many times and it's uh, really made an impression on me.
0: If it was one of the early ones you read, do you think it helped you want to read more Star Trek novels, and that's what helped you get into it, or were you pretty much into reading Star Trek novels before this?
1: I'd say without a doubt, it it made me pick up more after it for sure. It was definitely one of the stepping stones that got me to uh, where I am today, reading nothing but Star Trek novels all the time. But it's okay. <laughs> so we can thank... I'm not bitter. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We can thank this book. for. We wouldn't have you here if it wasn't for this book, maybe. I, I would say that's <laughs> very likely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's interesting is because it was published in 93, it was during the original run of The Next Generation when it was on TV. And this was also right when DS9 was starting out. And, and so we never, at this point in the 24th century, ventured into the mirror universe. So this was really our first entryway into the mirror universe within the next generation in the 24th century. And of course, we never even saw the mirror universe on the TV series of the next generation until Deep, Deep Space Nine uh, got into it. So I'm going to throw this question to you first, Dan, but how do you think this version of the mirror universe fits in with what has been established later in canon and plus with other books that have ventured into the mirror universe?
1: Well, I think... You know, canon wise, it was kind of uh, made not canon or not. I mean, it's obviously always been not canon, but it was kind of uh, made not fitting with canon by the Deep Space Nine episodes, which show a very different history and a very different outcome of uh, Kirk and Spock's conversation during the episode Mirror Mirror and what happened from there. So, you know, but long-time listeners of the show will know that that's not a point against it for me. I always think of that as just like a bonus story that, you know, it doesn't have to fit in canon for it to be a really great story. Uh, One thing that I found reading this the most recent time was my mind kept going back to that comic series, Mirror Broken, and borrowing some visual clues from that while I was reading this. So uh, some of the uniform designs where you know, there was kind of a bit of a description given basically saying there's a lot of skin showing and, you know, it's a vest type thing, but not much more than that. I kind of filled in those details a little bit with what we see in that comic series. And, uh, another thing that I found really interesting, and this is just a little thing was the, the large role that Barkley plays both in this book and in the Mirror Broken series, which I thought was a really interesting parallel, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I I can't remember if the writers of the Mirror Broken series mentioned that they'd read Dark Mirror and it kind of informed some of their decisions in that series as well or not. That for some reason, I'm remembering that to be the case, but that might not be right at all. But, you know, it, it kind of it gave me a little bit of a visual uh, template to use. Uh, for this novel. I kept actually imagining Picard with a goatee sometimes and I would have to be like, "Oh no, no wait, he doesn't have one here." They're just he, he just looks like Picard, but he scowls a lot more.
0: <laughs> right. And we know he doesn't have a goatee here because the Picard from the prime universe, you know, replaces him, you know, is going around impersonating that he's the mirror Picard. And I'm not really giving much away. Don't worry. You know, I mean, you, nobody should be that surprised by that. But of course, our Picard doesn't have a, a goatee. But I was just doing the same exact thing. I mean, it was mere broken visuals in my head the whole time, which is what I loved about reading this book now after reading mm-hmm. mere broken. And I don't recall if they were inspired by this novel, but I'm willing to bet that they have read this novel before and uh or the writers of mere broken and the tiptons but i just it was the tiptons that did mere broken too right i think they had done them all i believe so i think but anyway it's i just thought that um it was really interesting visually in my head to picture what is in mere broken but we know it's not the exact same universe and it doesn't necessarily work and not just because of the goatee on picard (laughs) i mean you can always assume well maybe the mere Picard decided to get up that morning and shave, you know, I mean, I've had a goatee, but I don't, I've never had it all my life. It's come and gone, you know, but, but I mean, I think, and we'll talk more about counselor Troy, but just even from the comics visualizing her, I mean, it, it does seem that mirror dark mirror inspired some of the visual language of Mirror broken. And the one thing that's really telling That says that this is not necessarily connected to those comics is that in the novel data does not exist in the mirror universe Mm. and data does exist in the broken mirror comics. But again, I don't think they ever said that data, they had a real reason for data. I mean, I think it was. I can't remember if there was a a backstory of why data wasn't in the mirror universe, but again, you can just assume maybe he was somewhere else. I
1: don't know. They do mention that, uh, something had happened to Dr. Noonien soon. I think he was arrested and executed or something or, or something like that very early before he had. I remember something something like that. Yeah.
0: But then again, he still could have created data, even though that happened to him and data was just like, on a vacation (laughs) I don't know (laughs) or whatever data would do but anyway we don't necessarily have to time all together but I like your point about Barkley because uh Barkley's such a big has a big role in Mirror Broken and he has a pretty prominent role in Dark Mirror too Mm -hmm. it's very interesting because if the writers of Mirror Broken didn't read Dark Mirror it's kind of creepy that
1: (laughs) there's a lot of similarities there yeah that's definitely true One thing that I I noticed, too, about this book uh, that I kind of almost appreciate is it feels a lot darker than Mirror Mirror, the original episode, which was the only venture into the Mirror Universe that had happened before this book was written. And I don't know, there's just as as dark as that episode was and as crazy as it was to see Bizarro Sulu and, and Mirror Spock being all evil and stuff. This one just, it has a, an even more sadistic and dangerous feel to it, I think, than that original episode did, if that makes sense. And I really appreciate that. Their stakes feel very, very real. And I mean, they did in the original series episode as well, but it just feels like that much more vicious and cutthroat there.
0: Now, I have to agree with that, especially the further we get into the book. It gets even more vicious and cutthroat. But um, and then comparing this to other mirror universe stories like Deep Space Nine, you know, that you mentioned about canon. I mean, it doesn't necessarily really fit with that. It's kind of going in a different direction. But um, but then I'm even thinking about we've had other mirror universe stories and comics outside of mirror broken. But I remember way back in the day, DC Comics had a line of comics that took place between episode of um episode this isn't star wars what am i saying (laughs) between star trek two and star trek three right and um no i'm sorry between star trek three and star trek Mm four because spock was resurrected and took over the excelsior and anyway but uh (laughs) that took place in the mirror universe over several issues and, and that played out a little different too but anyway my point is anytime i read star trek books um, or even watching Discovery in the mirror universe, I just assume that there's lots of parallel mirror universes. And when we enter into a mirror universe, it's not necessarily maybe the same universe we were in before, but very similar. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if, if one needs to justify it in, in universe that way, that yeah, that, that makes sense. But
0: We are fans. We have to justify everything.
1: <laughs> I have become so much more lax about that stuff. As I go on, I'm just like, eh, it's just a different take on it.
0: <laughs> That's interesting because when I first started reading read Star Trek books, I was like that. And then the more I got into them, the more I tried to connect them. Hmm. And then the more I got into them, the more I found it was harder to connect. <laughs> and then I stopped. <laughs> it is
1: fun to make those connections. Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> but we have it easy as Star Trek fans because we can just say, oh, well, it's a parallel universe. I mean, because that exists in Star Trek. I remember watching parallels on uh uh, next generation with Worf and him going through all the different and how similar they were, but then be one slight thing that's different. And I remember at the time watching them, like, it's like the novels, (laughs) (laughs) just this little slight differences.
1: Well, ever since this is a bit of a side tangent and I might've mentioned this on the show before, but growing up, like you'd be, I'd be driving somewhere with my dad or whatever and there'd be some building. I'd say Hom, oh, When did when was that building built? I I don't don't remember that building being there. And my dad would say some ah that's always been there. I'm like oh, and ever ever since seeing that episode parallels, I'm like oh well, it's happened. I've crossed over into another quantum reality again. And I I, I don't know. I just think maybe that just happens every once in a while. You just wake up in a different quantum reality and. Most of the time, some difference will be on the other side of the world that you don't even notice. You know, so many universes look so much like the others. But every once in a while, there'll just be a building. be like, oh, huh, that's the difference. <laughs> you know what, Dan, what's sad is
0: I think the same types of things to myself. But I actually throw this on to other people sometimes. Like I'll be at work. And somebody will say, I swear I put that paper right here on my desk. I know I put that here this morning. Where is it? Why isn't it here? I'm like, maybe you just transferred from another universe into this one. It's a parallel universe and there's just slight differences. And every time I say that, people always look at me like, what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and it's funny because that fear, again, not really getting into spoilers yet, but that gets mentioned much later in this novel as a possibility that they might not Make it back to their exact universe, one that's just slightly different, and someone says, Well, wouldn't it just be close enough? you know i mean what's what's the difference really and then well what what if there was a family member who you know died years ago or something in this universe, but not that universe, and you didn't find out it that out until two years later, and you realize this is not my life kind of thing It's kind of a bit of a scary thought. <laughs> It is, it is.
0: And it would be scary if we found out that we actually were transferring universes, mm-hmm. you know? Maybe I'm not the same Bruce you talked to last week.
1: That's kind of, yeah, I, it could be.
0: <laughs> we could, But then I am from the mere universe. We
1: need to get the guys in, uh, from Metatrex in on this because, you know, there's the whole, you know, transporters represent a break in consciousness and so that, you know, messes up. It could be a different person who appears, but another break in consciousness is every time you go to sleep. So when you wake up in the morning, how do you know you're the same person that went to sleep? You could just be a new person, uh, coming alive that day with all of the memories and experiences of the old one in your head. You're blowing me away. Dan. <laughs> That's just freaking me out right now. We'll we'll get the Metatrex guys on to talk about that or something. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure they already yes. have actually.
0: yeah we'll we'll just keep talking about the mirror universe and again the one of the difference in this novel is that uh we find out that spock did not succeed in what kirk tried to get spock to do is kind of stand up as one man and make a difference or whatever and uh that didn't necessarily work in his favor so this quote starfleet in this universe is uh very prominent and uh ruthless and even enslaving Klingons as slaves, which uh, I think we'll talk a, bit, a little bit later about Worf and his role in this. I thought that was quite interesting, especially when we get towards the end. But we do get introduced to a, a new character that comes aboard the ship, and this is Commander Wee. Wee. <laughs> and I love how he even says it's pronounced Wee, but it's spelled H-W-I-I. Mm-hmm. Which now that I look at it, if you take the H away, it's Wii like the game. The the um, ah, see, the
1: Nintendo uh, gaming console.
0: The Nintendo Wii. I was like, yeah. wait, which manufacturer? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, obviously when his uh, SuperString um, research didn't go as well as planned, he went into video game development with Nintendo. So they named it Nintendo. after him. It's the Nintendo
0: Wii. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes exactly i want to get one now um but this this wee person and yes that's how i'm referring to him as the wee person he must be french we we but uh sorry french people for that so um he serves as a member of a starfleet navigation research team and he comes to visit the enterprise now this species that he is he looks like a dolphin and he levitates on a flexible platform with an inch thick coating around him of glass and within there is water and so when he moves this coating moves with him and such i almost had a hard time visualizing this it was just i guess you would just picture a dolphin floating around you mm-hmm.
1: yeah that's kind of how i ended up picturing him was just, you know, a dolphin floating around the enterprise. I guess on some kind of platform and at one point he has like manipulator arms that are attached that he can move things with and and use to eat and that sort of thing. Um but yeah, it's definitely a, a different species and I found myself uh when I was reading this, he's not from Earth. He's a dolphin species from a different planet. And I found my terracentrism, I guess you could call it, coming to the fore. I'm like, wait, so there's just another species out there that looks exactly like dolphins? And then I realized how many times in Star Trek we see an alien race that looks exactly like humans. So why is that such a stretch? So, yeah, but uh, definitely a kind of the realization of a theory or a a, a Um, An idea that the writers of the next generation had with the, you know, dolphin labs full of navigators on the Enterprise kind of thing. It's kind of cool to see that concept kind of realized here.
0: Well, I've also recognized that Diane Duane will try to put very alien looking creatures on the ships. And I don't mean just strange looking, but just to the point where you have a hard time at least I do, sometimes I have a hard time visualizing, like I said, a dolphin on a little, you know, levitation platform going around the enterprise. It's just kind of a little strange, but because we don't see that on the shows or the movies, yeah. you know, <laughs> but, uh, but, and then, you know, he does go out into space to do some, his scientific work too, and all that, but, and which I thought was interesting also. Um, but, and what you said about, Oh, well, you know, he's a dolphin. How can, you know, dolphins are on Earth. How can another, oh yeah, well, there's humans everywhere too. I often think of that too when anytime in Star Trek someone sees someone with pointed ears, they assume they're Vulcan or Romulan. And I'm thinking, well, there could be, thousands of species out there that are humanoid with pointed ears. Mm-hmm. Why do they have to be just Vulcan or
1: Romulan? <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> and I swear I'm always waiting for a story and I would love it if discovery did this where they go to a planet and they see what look like Vulcans and find out that they're not even related at all.
1: Well, they kind of did in next generation, right? They had the in those, uh, guys that ended up worshiping Picard as a God, uh, that's true. They they called them a proto Vulcan species. So yes. I don't know if they're directly related or if it's just like, Hey, we see all these humans out there. These guys look like Vulcans weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're right. I do remember that and liking that for that reason when they saw the Picard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we not Jan and I, the character, we, uh, he introduces the concept of hyperstrings. Now, I wasn't familiar with hyperstrings. I don't even know if this is a real thing or not, but this is how it's described in the book, that hyperstrings are hyperdimensional, non-physical structures on which matter and energy of the physical universe are more or less strung like beads. And so basically, you have physical objects that are connected to its own string And the string can be used to predict the actions of the physical object before it even happens. And so the string vibrates as it's attached to the object and it resonates with the change in in the object's movement. So there's also a theory in the book that you can predict the past. You can even look at the past and also predict the future from the hyper strings. Mm -hmm. That I had to read twice at least.
1: Yeah, that aspect of it, I I I don't know enough about quantum physics and, and all of that stuff to say, but the, the first part sounds a lot like what they call string theory, which I know next to nothing about. So I can't really speak with any kind of authority, but you know, the way it's presented sounds plausible and interesting. So, you know, I, I kind of just went with it, but uh, you know, some of it I think is based in real, um theories put forth by physicists string theory and and that kind of thing but as far as the prediction of the the future stuff i don't know how if if that ties in at all if there's any kind of thing that relates to that or if that's just all an invention of the author uh i would suspect the the latter but i'm not sure
0: <laughs> yeah me either um but it does have relevance in the book because Moving from one universe to the other, this theory of hyperstrings uh, is used. And I guess, I don't want to say we're in spoiler territory, but we're starting to get there. And, and I'm not giving really anything away, I guess, at this point by saying that. But, you know, hyperstrings can be used to, uh, for our crew to try to get back home after they're in the mirror universe. Mm. So, um, you know what's scary about the mirror universe,
1: though, Dan, especially in this book? And that is Counselor Troy. Indeed. Absolutely. And I, I guess now is probably a good time that we're going to get into spoilers and talk about the plot of the book, I'd assume, right? Yeah, probably. All right. Well, there's your official warning here. Red alert. Spoilers ahead. Uh, but yeah, so the the mirror universe, uh, basically they pull the Enterprise from our universe into their universe. And their ultimate plan is to, uh, kill the senior staff, replace them with, with the mirror universe counterparts and, uh, dispose of the crew and replace them with their crew and take our enterprise back to our universe and kind of, uh, slowly infiltrate the Federation and, and take over, you know, massive fleets are going to move in at some point and all this stuff. Uh, so we get to meet a few of our of the crew's counterparts in the mirror universe. And we have captain Picard, of course, as the captain of the enterprise, but almost equal to him, as far as power goes, is the security officer of the enterprise. And that is counselor Troy. She is in charge of security. And the book kind of compares her role to like the political officer in the USSR who would be on the ship and be kind of the eyes and ears of the of the government, in this case, the empire aboard the Enterprise. And Troy in this universe is not the Troy from our universe. I remember reading this book as a kid and being absolutely terrified of the mirror Troy. She had this, this casual, cruel streak about her. And to me, I think what scared me the most was how scared the crew of the ISS Enterprise was of her. I think that really freaked me out. And there's There's a moment where basically our enterprise sends Picard, Geordie, and Troy over to kind of infiltrate and you know put a monkey wrench in their plans, and so at one point, Troy has to leave their hiding place and pose as the mirror Troy walking through the enterprise, and she can sense how afraid the crew is of her, and for some reason, that just really freaked me out. I thought that was really chilling. <laughs> I
0: can see that for sure. I mean, I didn't read this. I wasn't a kid the first time I read it. And this time, of course, I'm not even close to being a kid (laughs) reading it. You're a kid at heart, Bruce. (laughs) uh, That is true. But, you know, (laughs) it's it. She was. Yeah. I mean, she's terrifying. I mean, when you really think about it. Someone like Troy who can sense emotion and maybe even do things telepathically or just, you know, read what people are feeling and, and such. If that person was evil, mm-hmm. if, if Deanna Troy was just really evil, there's a lot of things that she could do to mess with you and, and just really get to you because she senses everything that you're thinking. She can play you so easily. Yeah, and then this this Troy has a little more abilities than even our Troy was even aware of that she doesn't she's not able to do, and that's really getting into people's heads. It kind of reminded me of Nemesis
1: mm.
0: when um like the Viceroy or whatever is like going into her, Troy's head, kind of communicating in a sense. It kind of reminded me of that, but um she's. Yeah, she's very terrifying. So if anybody is a Troy fan, like Amy Nelson is, (laughs) I would suggest reading this book because uh, Troy really is probably the most interesting character in this book.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and another thing that just really chilled me too was when uh, our Deanna Troy is kind of probing her mind a little bit and sensing what she can do and what she's doing. And there's just a couple moments where she mentions being just slightly tempted by it or, or just, you know, like what would it be like to have that power? And she's like, wait, no, 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 I can't go down that path because you know, that way lies, you know, horrible, cruel, evil Troy. And uh, that to me was really chilling. The thought that, you know, maybe what separates these characters isn't as much as we think. And, you know, but for some little twist of fate and the environment you grow up in and, the universe you live in, these people could be the same, the same person as their mirror counterpart. And I don't know, that was really scary to me as a kid too. I thought like, what if there's an evil Dan out there and he's capable of doing horrible things that I could only, I can't even imagine. And I don't know, something about that just really got to me. (laughs) Yeah. I can't imagine there's an evil Dan. I hope not. I, I, I feel like I'm a pretty nice guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um I think uh the other thing that I liked about this is finding out that she's so ruthless and so in charge of security that she almost commands the whole ship to the point that, well, who's the real commander of the Enterprise? Is it the mere Captain Picard or the mere Counselor Troy mm-hmm. and, and even though she's security, she still goes, you know, she's still a counselor. She still goes by that title. And it seems as we're reading through the book that Counselor Troy is really calling the shots. And maybe that is for the most part. Because at we later, uh, our prime Picard gets to knock out after a, bru- not a brutal, but you know, quite active fight in uh, his quarters, knocks out the mere Picard and puts him off to the side and takes his identity and pretends he's our prime Picard pretends he's the mere Picard and he's going around the enterprise and stuff. And there's a confrontation he has with Troy and she's I think she's starting to figure things out at this point but not totally but I was really in fear for Picard Mm -hmm. because I thought oh my gosh he has no idea how ruthless this woman is but he did realize it and then he amped it up himself and just grabbed her by the throat and pressed her against the wall and started strangling her, and basically put her in her place and said I'm the one in command i am the captain and she kind of fell like she kind of broke like yes sir okay okay yeah. Okay. You know, and i was like so you know it's almost as if to me that the mere captain picard may have been more weak than our own prime picard and she was getting away with stuff until our prime picard stood up to her
1: mm-hmm. yeah that that scene you're talking about i really liked That was one of the moments of the book that I'm just furiously turning pages, like what's going to happen next. And even just this last time reading it, I did that, even though I know it happens. I've read it many times before, but you know, that's the strength of some of the writing in here and, and that scene, ooh, chilling. But yeah, I like your observations about R. Picard and how he might be stronger willed, I guess, than maybe the mirror Picard is. And I mean, that kind of makes sense when you're in a universe that's ruled completely by fear and everyone's kept in line simply through fear, that would go for the higher ups as well. You know, the, the captains of the ships would also be kept in line by fear of reprisal from the umpire. And when your entire, uh, mode of behavior is governed by that instead of, you know, something more stratified, like, for the good of, of the Federation or for the good of the people around me, or just to be a good person. I feel like that makes you generally a little bit weaker. There's kind of a weaker foundation that your actions and your morality and your worldview kind of rests on, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I know a lot of people that are very outgoing in a sense, or they'll, they'll talk a lot or be very loud and, and, come to find out the more i get to know them they're like that because they have insecurities and they have fear and they're overcompensating it it's like they're putting up a shield in front of themselves by you know the more i talk the more i'm in control or the louder that i am i'm more in control the more i prove myself the you know less likely people will figure out that you know maybe i'm not as smart as i you know you know, like the person might think that they're not all that intelligent, but they're trying to portray that because they have fear that people are going to think that they're not really smart and say, they try to overcompensate. and I think we all do that to a certain degree. I'm just saying more, some people do it more so than others. Mm-hmm. And um, in a sense, you could relate that to the mere universe and just say that, you know, there's just so much fear in there that they're overcompensating for that by being very defensive and being very brutal to protect that ongoing fear in themselves. And when we have the prime Picard, Troy and LaForge forge over on the ISS enterprise, I think you're right. I think those three characters are more strong willed in this book than their counterparts in the mere universe. Mm. I was more impressed, not ethically, but just by strength and will of these characters more so than their counterparts in the mere universe.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree completely. I think fundamentally it comes down to if you're uh if you're someone who would be willing to do horrible things to another person, you believe that the people above you are capable of doing that to you as well. You can only really imagine what you would do yourself would do. So, you know, I feel like it it's all based on fear like we said and it it's uh it creates a very tense situation and one in which, you know, personal ambition can get you a certain distance, but, you know, true strength of character, I think would get demolished pretty quickly in that, in that universe.
0: You know, I've briefly have brought up Star Wars a couple of times in this show, but you know, I can't help but think of the quote that Yoda says, and that is fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate hate leads to suffering and i think that applies so much to the mere universe and even what we've seen in discovery and and uh i like to see that continue in season two with Giorgio, and and see we i don't really get the sense that we have fear that all that much maybe in her but i'd like to see a more vulnerable side of that character when we get into season two if if we see her in season two mm-hmm.
1: yeah for sure um I had that exact same, of course, Yoda quote going through my head as well. So that, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. And now we have the other characters in the mirror universe and between our universe. And so, you know, there are different ways that they act, the way they behave. And, uh, so what is, you know, like the dark twist to each of them? And so I think,
1: Dan, you had an example you want to mention about Riker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like you know, the thing about the mirror universe is with the the hugely different histories and how things play out, it doesn't make a lot of sense that all of these characters would kind of be in the same place as they are in our universe, but it it dramatically it's a really interesting concept and I like how this story kind of told uh, the history of these characters and how they got to where they are, where it feels similar to how they got there in our universe, but there's, you know, just a darker twist on it. So like in our universe, I, I, I don't know if our universe is the prop, the prime universe in the prime universe, Riker is being offered, has been offered command of different ships, but he always turns them down because he's comfortable where he is. He likes being on the enterprise. He's, he's used to it and doesn't want to change. In the Mirror universe, Riker's also been offered different commands by the Empire, but he stays on the Enterprise because he wants it to be his. And he's plotting to get rid of Captain Picard and take his place. And, you know, so it's it's he's there the same as our Riker is, but for different reasons. And, and it's kind of cool how that parallels. And then the whole uh, situation with Picard and Beverly Crusher and Wesley Crusher you know, similar to in our universe, Jack was killed. Jack Crusher was killed on an away mission under Picard's command. But in this universe, it seems that Picard engineered that to happen in order to claim Beverly Crusher as his captain's woman, as they call them in this universe. And And Beverly doesn't seem to mind that. No. Well, yeah, there's kind of a passiveness there that, you know, this is just how it is. And I have to accept it. It seems, which is, you know, Oh, that sucks in and of itself. But, (laughs) and then you've got Wesley on the ship as well. Um, and he's kind of, you know, a boy genius, who's a good officer kind of thing. But, uh, you know, he's there for very different reasons and Picard feels very, he's still annoyed with Wesley being there like Picard in season one was, but for very different reasons. And, with a much darker streak to it, of course. Uh, I thought that was really interesting and interesting little parallels I noticed between this novel and the original series mirror mirror. There's a lot of structurally similar things between them. You have the kind of youngest officer on the ship, try to kill, uh, the captain, which, you know, happened in mirror mirror. Chekhov took it upon himself to try and kill Kirk when he went wandering without his personal guard. And the same thing happens here. Wesley tries to kill Picard when he doesn't realize he needs to wait for his personal guard and just starts walking around the ship. Uh, I I thought that was kind of neat. There's little parallels there.
0: Yeah. And I love that too, because it's like you said, Picard always has his personal guard. In this case, it's usually Barkley is his personal guard. Mm -hmm. And uh, at one point Picard's like, yeah, no, I don't need you right now. I'm you know, you stay here and do this. I'm going to go down the tub and, And like you said, Wesley takes immediate advantage of that. I love mere Wesley. I mean, (laughs) I just love the idea of a evil Wesley. And I love the covers of mere broken with the spiky hair. I mean, I just like a really like evil trippy Wesley would just like, I would take one novel of that. (laughs)
1: How much fun would Will Wheaton have had playing that character too? I bet he would have just jumped at the chance to play Wesley totally differently. Just based on things he said years later after doing The Next Generation about playing Wesley, I bet he would have just had the time of his life playing spiky haired, evil, emo, Killer Wesley Crusher.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think the whole cast of the night, next generation would have loved to have that opportunity themselves to, for all their characters. Oh, yeah. You know? But yeah, I think Will Wheaton would probably even do it now. we will just <laughs> do an older version of an evil Wesley, you know? Oh, that'd be so good. And then one of my favorites is Worf, which I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, because Klingons are more of a slave race to. Uh, the Federate, or I shouldn't say the Federation of the Empire under uh, the Starfleet and Worf is there on the Enterprise and he's serving on board. But i you know, in a lot of ways, this Worf reminded me of our Worf in the same manner as on mere Mirror mirrors. The Mirror Spock reminded me more so of our Spock mm-hmm. versus the other characters counterparts.
1: Yeah. I kind of like that, that, you know, the mirror universe has this kind of what they call a moral inversion, but in this case, it seems to be just on earth and possibly Vulcan, they say, because, you know, earth and Vulcan teamed up and decided to conquer the galaxy together kind of thing. But the Klingons of this universe are the same apparently as the Klingons of our universe by the sounds of it. And they're, they've just been steamrolled by the empire. Uh, but, you know, we get the character of Worf and he still seems to be the honorable man that we know in our universe. So I thought that was really interesting. And I I thought, yeah, the whole history of the Klingon people in this universe is just so tragic. And I felt Diane Duane does this really good job of, of showing Worf and just eliciting this sorrow from me every time he's in a scene, because she somehow writes it that like in his eyes, you can see j- just how beaten down he is, that he has to serve these people. And it's, uh, it's re- it's really well written, really interesting.
0: And you're talking about the parallels between this and mirror mirror. And, you know, there's a whole scene where Picard gives a similar speech to Worf mm-hmm. as, uh, our, Prime Kirk gives to Spock. Yeah, it's like, and even Picard's think at the time it necessarily didn't work for Spock, but it could work for Worf.
1: Yeah. And I like the way it's framed too, because it's not, he's not saying you have to go out and make all these changes and, you know, steer everything on a different path. He's saying to Worf, go to your people and be ready for this to happen. And, you know, return yourselves to honor and glory and i just i think that's really cool i would love to see a follow-up to this novel in you know 30 40 50 60 years from now or whatever the prediction was Uh, i'd be that would be a really cool wouldn't that be a really great graphic novel that would be oh yeah so neat um oh yeah um yeah, let me call
0: Sarah at IDW and <laughs> plant that seed in your hand. Oh wait, she's always listening, right? Mm. Um <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely. That would be even just even if it wasn't a graphic novel, even if Diane Duane wrote a novel too. I mean, I'll take it anyway. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really cool. As long as we have Evil Wesley in there too. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I also love in this novel, they talk a bit about the possible origins of the Mirror universe. And initially, early on in the novel, they say it looks like it came from Khan and the Eugenics Wars, and they actually won and took over. And, you know, then they were beaten back, and then it was the kind of martial government that formed after that that advanced the empire. But then we find out later in the novel as well that Picard looks at older pieces of fiction and they're all different. You know, all these Shakespeare stories have characters missing or scenes that go wildly differently. And just as an example, a very short piece, but just such an amazing bit of writing, Picard's looking on his shelf and he's flipped through a bunch of Shakespeare's plays and they're all different. And also on the shelf is the King James version of the Bible. And Picard sa- and it says, slowly Picard shut the book, put it back and looked mistrustfully at the Bible and beautiful language or not, decided not to pick it up. Oh, that was just chilling. Like what differences are there in the Bible that, oh my God. That was interesting.
0: (laughs) I know. When it got to that and he
1: put it back, I was like, wait, I kind of want to know what it says. (laughs) I'm kind of okay not knowing. (laughs) But yeah, there's so many great bits talking about, you know, the origin of the mirror universe. And and I I love Diane Duane's writing in general. This was not to do with the mirror universe, but I highlighted very early in chapter three. that I love this, this like, humor she brings to it um where picard's talking with dr crusher and crusher is talking about a a patient she had and uh she says she chuckled seems the tree spoke to him picard looked surprised delusional he wasn't the tree was though but that's another story anyway and and crusher moves on to something else i just i love that stuff uh anyway That was was me briefly gushing about Diane Deweyne's writing.
0: (laughs) Yes. Which we gushed about a few episodes ago with Spock's world. So good. You know, (laughs) and you know, the Shakespeare thing I thought was interesting because that's how I took it too. Was that, Oh, the mirror universe goes even further back because the Shakespearean plays are written differently. But then I was, wasn't sure. There was a line in there that made me wonder If they had been changed, Hmm. where Shakespeare wrote the same plays that we're familiar with, but as the universe changed, the mere like whoever new publishers of his works started to change the material.
1: That could be to bring it more in line with the the views of the empire, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, right. Because the original Shakespeare to someone in the mere universe might be like, oh this is boring. I don't know why people in the past used to like this. I'm going to beef it
1: up, you know, Mm, or evil or it espoused a philosophy that, you know, wasn't proper according to the empire (laughs) right? (laughs) kind of thing. Yeah. Interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that angle. Um, I did. It did make me think of flocks in enterprise too, when he talks about, some of the more noted works of human literature being different from uh the the ones from the prime universe being different from the mirror universe and he has that great line though when he says, "Except for Sp- Shakespeare, his plays are equally grim in both universes." <laughs> yes, yes, that's one reason
0: I was a little disappointed that Shakespeare was a little different in this book because I was hoping it's just the same, mm-hmm. you know. Because like for what Flock's the reasons Flock said for sure, but yeah,
1: I, I did like the changes that were listed because in a lot of cases they're just very subtle, but they they just create a whole different vent to the story, which is chilling as well. I've used that word a lot, this podcast chilling, but (laughs) yeah, it's, that's everything in this novel is just designed to make you kind of shudder when you think about the mirror universe.
0: Yeah. 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 And you haven't really read uh, Shakespeare until you've heard it in the original Klingon, of course.
1: Exactly. (laughs) So,
0: or you haven't read this book unless you've hit some, Technobabble at some point, right? <laughs> yes, that's
1: very true. Uh, Diane Duane, of course, uh, is a master at Technobabble. And I, I feel like a lot of her novels, you know, kind, the ending kind of hinges on it a bit. Spock's World is kind of an exception. It, it doesn't really do a lot of that. But, for example, The Wounded Sky, if you've ever read that, uses a lot of technobabbly type stuff. Uh, even the Rihansu series, a lot of them have, you know, kind of high speed maneuvering around stars, creating strange effects and all that kind of stuff. Um, And this one, the final act of how the Enterprise escapes from the mirror universe, and then the mirror universe Enterprise follows them. And the Enterprise kind of devises this way to be able to catapult them back to the mirror universe, Uh, you know, using gravity wells and tying their power systems into a star and all this stuff that, you know, it's a little hard to follow because it gets so techno babbly, but I'm not really listing that as a fault because I think she pulls it off fairly well here. Um, it it gets really complicated, but at the same time it's written in such a way that I don't feel like they're just pulling the stuff out of their butt. Like it feels like, you know, Jordy and his team and commander, Wee are, are really working the problem and I don't know, using techno solutions, but it's not, it doesn't feel unearned if that makes sense. And I don't really know why this doesn't bother me, but you know, a techno babble reconfiguration of the main deflector dish in a Voyager episode does. I, I, I don't know. How did you feel about that? Well,
0: it didn't bother me very much in this book. I mean, I've read, as you mentioned, other books that she's written in the Star Trek universe and sometimes it puts me off a little because it's – maybe I'm not quite getting it or understanding it. It gets to be a little too much. But at the same time, I believe it, mm-hmm. you know, because I feel like there's so much thought behind it. And so, as I mentioned earlier about HyperStrings, there's times where I read her her books where it gets so scientific that I'm thinking, okay, this – Whether it's real or not, it sounds so good and so thought out more so than you get in a TV episode that I have to reread it again. (laughs) And I start, I'll start like Googling, you know, just to see if there's like, is there something like this or could that, you know, or whatever. It depends on the situation. But, but at the same time, there's times I feel that the characters are spot on and the drama is going so well that when we hit one of these sections like that, sometimes it pulls me out of it a little because I'm trying to comprehend what she's trying to convey or what's really going on. And it starts to maybe just slow down and get a little too technical, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a very fine line. So sometimes it works for me and other times not so much.
1: Yeah. I, I kind of feel the same way. And I mean, obviously it jumped out enough in this book that I, I felt the need to mention it because there is kind of one point in, you know, chapter 15 where I'm going like, okay, so they're doing what now and how are they doing this? Um, but like you said, it's very well thought out and it doesn't feel like, uh, Oh, okay, here we go. Now it's fixed. Here's the final captain's log wrapping things up and we're done. You know, it feels like they're working the problem and working towards a solution and maybe it gets bogged down in it a little bit, but I feel like it's earned. Like I feel like she's put in the work, the effort to sell it. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. That it's at that point where I think, okay, this truly is science fiction. Mm hmm. You know, yeah. it's not just like you're saying the throwaway like, oh, we just need to do X, Y and Z and then we'll be out. And it's like, what? OK, well, that's made up. No, she's like, OK, I'm going. It's not just X, Y and Z. Here's the whole theory how this is how it could scientifically work. This is the science fiction of this book, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm going to explain x and then I'm going to explain y, and then I'm going to explain Z and how that all ties together, and how that really works, and to the point that you're like, "I think this just might work." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I feel for sure that makes sense. okay, so is there
0: anything else? that you can think of about this book that you want to cover. We've covered you know, quite a bit of it. And I think uh, we've hit a lot of the big highlights of it.
1: I think so. Um, you know, like I said, this is, this is a book that stuck with me for many years. And one other thing, because of having just read it now, after we've seen like the mirror universe episodes of discovery, there's one little bit in chapter 16 that I loved because it really echoed something that Admiral Cornwell says in a Discovery episode, um, where they're talking about uh, the knowledge about the Mirror Universe. And Crusher, she says, I have a feeling, though, Dr. Crusher said, that Starfleet will not be releasing information about this incident for general consumption. Psychologically, it's a bit of a time bomb. And I love that that reasoning is kind of, you know, maybe not exactly the same, you know, different reasons for why it's a psychological time bomb, but Cornwell keeping the mirror universe stuff, uh, um, classified in discovery because she says, you know, what if people discover this and find out that they have a relative in another universe that they lost here, you know, psychologically, it just is a horrible idea. I I just like that little parallel there. I was like, Oh, that's cool. That you know it was classified for the same reason, not for any big, huge starfleet you know um federation security reason, but because you know they're worried about how people would react to it psychologically yeah, I thought, thought that was neat
0: I, I i picked up on that too. I thought that was really great. I'm glad you brought that up uh because when discovery was on and they were in the mirror universe, people were like, well, wait. Now the Prime Universe knows about the Mirror Mirror Universe before the episode Mirror, Mirror. How are they going to correct that? And people start speculating, well, maybe it's classified. And as you mentioned, Cornwell said, you know, this is all going to be classified. But then when we see the crew of Next Generation, the Prime crew in this book, they're not familiar with the Mirror Universe themselves. Mm -hmm. And come to find out, doing some digging, they find what happened with Kirk and crew because it was classified and it was buried and they were able to get it out, which made me think, well, wait, if that was classified too, how come they found that, but they didn't find out what happened to discovery. That was classified (laughs) because they said there was only one record of, uh, incident of another universe, Hmm. which is hard to believe by the 24th century that the only parallel universe ever found in, 200 some years or whatever was just that one trip to the mere universe. But I like to think that maybe there were more other classified records, but that was the only one they could really find.
1: Yeah. Cornwell did like a double super secret classified thing <laughs> made it even right. more classified. No. <laughs> yeah. No. I, and and I like that. I mean, it's um, a lot of people I think feel like it's a bit of a cheat, but I think, I mean, it makes sense. You know, it's an elegant solution. And I, I don't know, I've always thought that people seem to think that if it happened in a Star Trek episode, every character in every series afterwards must know about it because, you know, it obviously happened and they know everything that's ever happened that we see. And then the flip side of that, of course, is, um, you know, if there's some alien that we see in an earlier, in a prequel episode, it's like, well, that can't be because they never mention it later, you know? So I don't know, it's I think that's a little bit silly, but I mean, how many times do Moroccans show up in an episode of the West wing? I, you know, like (laughs) it doesn't, there's there's tons of aliens. Anyway, that's a whole other other tangent that I'm about to get on. But, um, anyway, yeah, no, I, I love this novel. It's always been a favorite of mine. Uh, I don't think I have anything else that I really want to add to this, the discussion other than, I think I would give this five out of five barrels of mackerel that uh, Commander Wee is going to chow down on during a staff meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm there with
0: you. Probably not as strong on this book as you are, but very close. So I would say that I would give this one uh, four chillings out of five Mm. chillings since there's been so much... Chilling comments in this whole episode. <laughs> I like it.
1: <laughs> so, at the end of the novel, we get the scene in the holodeck with the opera and Jordy running across in his Mirror Universe <laughs> uniform being chased by someone else. Bruce, Don't you sometimes just want to, you know, slip into the mirror universe vest and show off your muscles instead of this ridiculous long-sleeved stuff we wear every day? <laughs> mm, not really, no. <laughs> no, me neither, right? <laughs> but Jordy does. Apparently so.
0: By the way, I think Jordy was portrayed in this book as having it, uh, being more smooth with the women than he typically is mm-hmm. he seemed to be too comfortable with that not that there was much of it but just the, the kind of bits of situations he got into with like the mirror universe he was he knew how to play you know
1: yeah it seems like he has a, a lot of, of experience going on various dates uh, maybe
0: he just felt more comfortable without the sleeves
1: that that must be it <laughs>
0: <laughs> well it's not sleeves that were just only talking about here on the trek fm network there's other clothing items and other things we're discussing so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on trek fm previously on trek.fm the 602 club
1: and it really speaks to to me halliday's ego even of i'm going to make everyone love what i love and then that's how they'll win the contest you know, and and it's sad that it feels like it all became that. What you're saying, Matt, of it, everyone not even having um, the creativity to have their own stuff anymore. It's all about what Halliday was interested in, um, and and then I think too, it really also could be even a commentary about greed in society now. That everything really revolved around wanting to get his, and you know, his fortune so they did all the research they had to do because they just wanted the money warp 5 wait hold on you don't you don't have a uh, a, uh, a reflection there's beams of light traversing the ship cutting you mm. And
0: my lack of logic is what's astounding here. Yeah, because you made an assumption based on zero evidence. Except for the fact that they just melted. Yeah, the three we that we've seen, we don't know that... That what the rest of them are doing. This is we the first one we don't know if it
1: was anymore. Okay, let's scan the melting. Meta Trex. And, and and do it all over again. Are you bad mouthing Voyager <laughs> to a guy who hosts a Voyager <laughs> podcast? Uh, you know I am. I, I always love to review about Voyager, but they they really kind of play that card in this episode. They they hit that magic reset button. So T- take that, you Deep Space Nine loving Voyager hating reset button obsessing fans. There's a reset button right here in this episode of Deep yeah. Space Nine. <laughs> Literary treks. But that was also like one of the core ideas of the story before I even knew much about how it was going to develop was this notion that we could find something to explore that would allow different groups of people to come together to explore it than we're used to seeing. And that's
0: what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. And you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.
1: If you use Apple to get your podcasts, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published and Please leave us a star rating and written review that really helps us rise in the search field in the search ranks and helps people find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find all of the Trek FM shows on Google Play Music. Stitcher TuneIn, in Spreaker SoundCloud Windows Phone most third-party apps and you can stream and download the mp3 file from our website or grab the RSS link there as well wow I didn't know that Dan
0: I really appreciate you telling me that I've just listened to you say that every week and now I've, I, I finally get it
1: that's true oh also <laughs> also on YouTube I should mention there is a Trek FM YouTube channel you can get all the shows at too
0: that is true uh And including you have your own shows on YouTube too, which
1: (laughs) I do. And I, I, I I tend to try to uh, advertise literary treks as well a lot. So (laughs) (laughs) cross promotion, right? That's the key to it all.
0: (laughs) That is the key to it all. Well, and we got so many shows on Trek FM and we need a lot of support to keep these things going. And you can help support those by becoming a patron of the network on Patreon visit patreon.com slash trek.fm that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trek.fm and you'll see all the details of all the perks of early access to episodes and exclusive content and producer credits and more and it's available through our special patrons website called patron zone and it requires a great deal of money to produce host, and distribute these shows each month and we really appreciate any support you can give us, and hope you'll join the team. And again, you'll find all the details at Patreon.com/TrekFM.
1: Well, do you have any thoughts on Commander Wee or the chilling Counselor Troy from the Mirror Universe? Well, we want to hear all of your thoughts on that and everything else in, from today's show. There are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners' group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. We'll, of course, have a post of this episode and a thread that you can comment on underneath that. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and that'll come right to me and Bruce. And you can also find the network on Twitter at Trek FM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And on Goodreads,
0: we have a group there and just search for literary treks and ask to join the group and we'll let you right in and you'll see the conversations that we're having. And there's a list of what books we previously covered, what we're currently reading and what books are coming up on future shows. So check that out. And we'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rozier, Brandon Shea Motella, Justin Ozer, and Jeffrey Harlan for their support of the Trek FM network and being associate producers for literary treks as well. So Dan... When Counselor Troy
1: isn't scaring you into being a little boy, where can people find you? <laughs> well, you can find me posting all about it on Twitter at Kurtrats, that's Kertrats. That's K E R T R A T S. Hashtag Mirror Troy is Scary. Uh, you can find me on youtube.com slash Productions, making videos about how terrified I am of Counselor Troy entering my mind and finding out my deepest, darkest secrets. And you can find me, of course, uh, on Instagram at KurtRatz47 and on Facebook in the Babel Conference. And Bruce, when you're not on the holodeck reenacting the Great Metropolitan Opera Riot of 2002, when the holographic special effects malfunctioned in the middle of the production, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore
0: Rex that's Admiral with the underline and then Rex you can find me talking Star Wars and also Solo a Star Wars story on the Star Wars Report podcast because the Solo movie is coming very soon and uh, check that out you can find that wherever you find your podcast Uh, Star Wars Report will probably be there and of course you can find me in the Babel Conference so It's a fun place to be, and it's a safe place to be to talk about Star Trek with all of our friends. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next time, live long and read on.
1: You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.